you will slowly emaciate and starve spiritually. And, and if you don't believe me, uh, believe the Bible, but, but if you have trouble believing that, just look around. Look at Christians that have neglected the Scriptures, or look at churches that don't proclaim the, the, the truth. God today doesn't speak in visions or voices, but speaks through His wit, uh, written words. That's where you will hear what proceeds from God's mouth. And when you read it, when you read the Bible, you'll find that God teaches us through two primary methods. One is precept, and the other is pattern. The Bible provides uh, or declares things to us. The Bible gives us material to, to learn. As I've said before, a lot of the times the, the Bible doesn't just tell you what to, uh, what to do, it tells you what to think, and we need that because of, of, of depravity. But the Bible declares or provides material to learn. It also gives us models to follow. In Scripture, you'll find both information and, and things to, to imitate. You'll find imperatives, commands, and you'll find uh, illustrations. You'll find commands and copies. You'll, you'll, you'll find declarations and then disciples that you should model your, your, your life under. Let, let me illustrate that, those two ways of, of teaching from another context. As I preach this morning, you, you, are, you are learning what, what God said, what, what He commands, and that's, that's information. But if you follow me home today, you'll see that truth modeled, and you'll also learn. Ho- hopefully, what you hear from, from the Bible on Sunday, you'll see lived out in, in my life on Monday. Even if you follow me around a lot, you'll, you'll also learn how to repent really well. But you'll see a sincere, single-minded attempt to put what God says into practice. And we learn that way. Well, in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is using the same methods to, to teach us. He, he's given us the precept beginning in verse 5 of chapter 2 through verse 16. He's, he started that with a command, Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then that was followed by the stunning example of Christ's obedience in verses 6 through, through 11. His descent, he humbled himself even to the point of death, on death on the cross. And because of that, God highly exalted him as Lord over all creation. And then you remember Paul applied that, that attitude, that humbleness of Christ, humble obedience, he applied it to us in verses 12 and 13. You're to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then he gave us specific instructions about how to do that. You're to, you're to do that without grumbling, without complaining. That was in, in verses 14 through 16. Now Paul is going to turn to the pattern. He's going to turn to the models. He's going to turn to the illustrations. Paul's going to, to give us three patterns or models of, of all of that truth lived out so we can learn by, by imitation. I mean, we all know that Jesus was humble. But how do I live out that example? What does it look like for a follower of Christ to imitate his humble obedience? I mean, I don't leave heaven. I don't become a man. I don't die on a cross. So what does that look like in my life? Because I'm to have that attitude in me, and that attitude should be in you, and then that should produce something in, in your life. What does it look like for a man or a woman that has the attitude of Christ in them? Well, Paul shows us here. And beginning in verse 17 through verse 30, he invites us to, to follow three men around, and, and you'll see how, 
how they modeled a worthy life. These are personal examples of biblical truth in action. They flesh out different aspects of Christ's attitude, if you will. So you put all three of them together. And I told you last week, there, it starts with the Apostle Paul. And you say, well, I'm not an apostle, even though Paul put his pants on just like you do. Today we'll learn from Timothy. You say, well, I, well I'm not preparing for ministry like, like Timothy. We'll get, also get to Epaphroditus. It was just a, an average Joe, as they say, serving Christ. All three of them, though, are just believers. They're just like you, and they're modeling for us the attitude of, of, of Christ. The Apostle Paul's joyful sacrifice, Timothy's sincere selflessness, which we'll see today, and then Epaphroditus' transformed service. Paul, he said he poured out his life on others with joy, just like Jesus did, right? Who existed in the form of God and, and, and didn't think that's something to be grasped or something to hold on to. And he poured out his life for us. And Paul modeled that. Timothy, he was selflessly obedient to Paul. You may have picked up in the, in the passage. Selflessly obedient to, to Paul and the gospel. Like a son to a father, as Jesus was obedient to the father's plan. And then we'll get to Epaphroditus, who almost died serving risking his own life in service to the Apostle Paul, in service for the, for the Philippians, just like Jesus, who did die willingly. The Philippians didn't have the Gospels yet, and so they need living examples to elucidate this, this truth that Paul's trying to, to, to teach them. And I might add, while you and I have the Gospels, there are plenty of people who also have the Gospels that will never read them. And they need to see what humble obedience to Christ looks like through your life. They'll observe you. And God wants you to live in such a way that models the Lord Jesus to them. So after beginning with his own example of joyful sacrifice, Paul moves on to Timothy, who's going to teach us sincere selflessness through four reproducible qualities. Four reproducible qualities that make you sincerely Selfless. The first one that he covers is selfless steadfastness in verses 19 through 20. Then selfless sincerity. Then selfless single focus. A selfless single focus and then selfless serving. I mean, if you read verses 19 through, through 20, this is not just Paul's visitation plan. It's not something to just chuck away because he's talking about, I'm going to come and then... I can't come right now, so I'm going to send Epaphroditus, and then I'm going to, uh, and then I'm going to send Timothy, and, and then hopefully I'm going to come, come later. This is exhortation by example to be like our Lord, and we can look at the, the first one. Let's look at the first quality that makes you, that can make you sincerely selfless. It's, it's being steadfast. For steadfastness, look at you at verse 19. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, the Bible says. Well, what does that look like? Paul says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. It means being dependable and being devoted. I think that's what Paul highlights about Timothy's life in verses 19 through, through 20. 
Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So after pointing uh, the Philippians to his own life, now Paul communicates future plans. He plans on sending two men to the Philippian church. It's Timothy and Epaphroditus. In verse 19, and then again in verses 23 and 24, they're like a miniature travel itinerary. Drop down to verse 23. What he says here, Therefore I hope to send him immediately, that's Timothy, as soon as I see how things go with me in his trial. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly. He's telling them about who's coming and, 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 and who's going. He hopes to send Timothy soon in verse 19. He tells them, that it will be as soon as he gets clarity about what's happening with his own affairs, and then he hopes to come. And in verses 20 and 21, he outlines the reasons that he's sending Timothy, and that's where we find our model. If you put all of it together, Epaphroditus is going to be sent first because he's anxious to get back so they don't worry about him any longer. Then Timothy is going to follow Epaphroditus once Paul figures out what's going on in his trial, and then the apostle hopes to come himself. And in between, he tells us why he wants Timothy to to come. Paul says it's so he can give a dependable report in verse 19. Paul says that he's sending him so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, when I learn of of your affairs. Paul says I will be cheered, and he's going to learn that information from, from Timothy, who's dependable. The I also, when Paul says this here in verse 19, so that I also may be encouraged. It's in the emphatic emphatic position. It implies that that when Timothy gets there, the Philippians are going to be encouraged by Timothy's ministry, and then he's going to return and tell the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul also is going to be encouraged. Paul expects Timothy to go and to minister and to return. And you don't send somebody on a mission like that that's not dependable. I mean, if you were in prison, facing possible death, and you were greatly concerned about a specific church, a church that you planted, people that you'd won to the Lord, that you'd spent time with, would you just send anybody to go give them a report when when you may not even make it out of prison? Of course not. You would send somebody that was steadfast. And that steadfastness would, would be proven by their dependability. Paul knows Proverbs 25, 19. Proverbs 25, 19 says, Confidence in an unfaithful or treacherous man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a, or a foot out of joint. It's like biting down on a broken tooth. It's like uh, trying to run on a, on a sprained ankle or pick something up with a broken arm. Huh, yeah. The point is that you can't put any weight on them. And, and you can't put your trust in someone who's not selflessly steadfast. You ever said, if you want something done, if I want something done, I have to do it myself? Have you ever said that? Well, Paul didn't say that. He says, if I want something done, I'll send Timothy. Because he's steadfast. And he had sent him before. This is not the first time that Paul sent Timothy on a mission like this. He he dispatched him as his messenger from Athens to Thessalonica in 1 Thess 3. He dispatched him to Corinth from Ephesus. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 16, talks about that. And now he's sending from Rome to Philippi, from Athens, to, from Ephesus to Rome, to, to these three dear churches. And he has no concern 
because Timothy had proven that he was dependable throughout his life. What about you? Are you dependable? Doesn't sound like very, uh, a very spiritual characteristic, does it? Do you, do you, are you a prayer warrior? I mean, that sounds really spiritual. This is spiritual. Are you dependable? Is your life growing in spiritual consistency? Or do you, or do you ebb and flow? Are you like a firm mattress or a waterbed? God says you need to, to be like the, the former. Is there steadiness, spiritual steadiness in, in your life? Or, or, or is your life blown about by every wind of, of doctrine? Are you seeking maturity or are you happy to just play around in life and just let it come wherever it, it blows? If, if, if you're like that, then you're not going to be tapped by God to do very many things. And you need to beware as well because the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in his spiritual ways. Is that what it says? In all of his ways. So if you don't have spiritual stability, if you're not single-minded and fixed on, on the truth, then you're not just going to be unstable and, and, and undependable in the church. You're, you're going to be that way in all of your life. You're going to be that way in your family. You're going to be that way to, to your, in, your, in your job. And that's an evidence of selfishness if you're that way, not selflessness. If you want to be used by God, you need to put some roots down and start being faithful in smaller things, and then God gives you a little more and a little more, and that's exactly how you develop it. Isn't that exactly what Matthew 24 says? When Jesus is talking, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. We want to hear that. Paul picked that up, didn't he? He said at the end of his life, you remember last week, Paul wants to be, he says, I'm ready to be, I'm already being poured out as a, as a drink offering. And what does he want to hear when he stands before his master? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, how does Paul get that, that testimony? The same way that Jesus says here, the same way. Paul was dependable and Timothy was dependable. And you'll be faithful in a few things and then God will put you charge, in charge over, over many things. We live in a world that believes just the opposite of that. And then a little bit and put you to the test and see how you handle it. And, and when you rise to that occasion, a little bit more and then a little bit more and a little bit more. It's exactly the opposite of what you hear in, in the world. It expects greatness in months, not decades. You're 22 years old, you roll right out of college with a political science and a psychology degree, and you expect a $100,000 a year job, right? That works three days a week. There's just an expectation that's, that's there. And people that are exalted by the world have the character of months, not decades as, as well. Those 18-year-olds that stormed the beach in Normandy were just 18, but, but the ones that survived, where do you think that they were whenever they were 38? I tell you, they were dependable because they were tested. I actually have people set up appointments with me before they join the church to tell me about their gifts and ask how I plan to use them in the church. I do. I'm not kidding. Not one, multiple people implying in those conversations either or, or even saying it directly that, that if I don't, uh, I don't plan to, to use them, then, then they don't plan to, to join. I've actually had, I think, at least three people. I try to remember how many. At least three bring their self-published books to the meeting and ask if I wanted to put them in the bookstore. I don't even know who these people are. I usually answer the same way. 
No, I'm sorry, I don't have any place for your gifts at TBC. It's probably not the, the place for you. But if you ever discover, uh, discover any of God's gifts, then maybe you can come back and, and let me know, right? And you'll discover God's gifts by being selflessly steadfast, by being faithful in a few things, and then God will make you faithful or give you opportunity for a little bit more. Steadfast, selfless church member. They're wonderful. They'll go far in the kingdom. There's no place in God's church for superstars, only humble, dependable servants. You can see that in your Lord's life. But that dependability comes from a devoted heart. Why would you, be, why would you take small tasks in order to develop faithfulness in greater ones? Why would, you, why would you want to be dependable? Where does that come from? Where does that desire come from? Well, look at verse 20. It comes from a, a devoted heart. For I have no one else of kindred spirit, Paul says, who will genuinely be concerned for, for your welfare. The first half of verse 20 is where you get the devotion. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Paul says he knows he can depend on Timothy, but he tells us why here. He tells us why he's sending him specifically. And this begins a list of several reasons. He says no one else is like Timothy. He is equal souled with Paul. There's no one else that has, that has the same mind as Paul, like, like Timothy. Some of your translations may, may, may say a kindred spirit, and all of you ladies think of Anne of Green Gables whenever you hear that. Kindred spirit. Paul says Timothy was like a kindred spirit. Nobody else like that. Now think about that. This is the, the great apostle Paul. It's toward the end of his life. And he has no one else that's one-souled with him to, to, that, to that same level? I mean, there weren't any other believers in Rome? There was. There was a large church in Rome. He wrote to it. They even showed up whenever he, he, he arrived. Paul says that there are even believers now in Caesar's household because of his witness. Luke and Aristarchus have departed since there's no greeting uh, from them in, in this letter. We know Epaphroditus is there. But Paul says out of them all, Timothy is the only one to send, which is why he's the example. What was the example of? He has no one else that has replicated Paul's heart like, like Timothy. Timothy has a devoted heart that replicated Paul's devoted heart. He's a steadfast disciple. Paul's already told us about the, the condition of some of the other leaders in Rome. They, they were devoted to themselves. And, and not Paul or the Philippians. You remember back in Philippians chapter 1? Paul says, to be sure, some are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. In verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Paul rolls into town, all, the whole Roman church goes to meet him and sees him, and they begin to visit him, and there are local preachers there that don't really like it that the apostle is in town, and he's getting a lot of attention. And so they begin to go out and try to outdo him while he's locked up. And Paul says, it doesn't matter to me. They're preaching Christ. They're preaching the gospel. But their motives are wrong, but not Timothy's. Obviously, you're not going to send one of those guys. When he compares Timothy to everyone else, Timothy outshines them all. His devotion is there. When he's compared to the apostle Paul, he's like-minded. Paul can't come, so he wants to send his closest replica. If someone meant a lot to you, 
and you could not be there, and it grieved your heart that you weren't able to go visit whoever it was, who would you send? Well, it would be someone that would carry the message and would feel and think and act and be devoted just like you. You wouldn't just send anybody. You'd send somebody dedicated, and you'd send somebody that was devoted like you were. If you ever get uh, disillusioned about the fruit of your labor, remember this verse. Paul says he has one who truly gets it toward the end of his life. Timothy was one sold. And that's exactly why Paul encourages the Philippians to model him. Do you remember um, verse 27? You can look back there if you want to, but chapter 1, verse 27, I'll read it to you. Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear. Who's he going to hear from? Timothy? That you're standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, whether I come and see it for myself or whether I send my devoted servant, Timothy, who's one sold with me, I want him to come back and, and give a report of you that you're also one sold. You're one spirit, one mind, striving for the faith of the, of the gospel. That's what's going to cheer the Apostle Paul's heart. And Timothy was already there. He already possessed one spirit, one mind, and that's why he's a model and that's why he was sent. And if you want to be used of God, you have to possess that kind of devotion. You need dependability, and you need that kind of devotion. But he goes a little bit further. Let me give you the, the second one here. The second reproducible quality is sincerity, selfless sincerity. Paul says that you need to be genuine, and you need to serve for others' good, because that's exactly what Timothy did. It's our model. Look at you, Wood at verse 20 again. Paul says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. It's the fruit of his one-souled nature. Focus of the verse is on two words, genuine and then your welfare or your best interest. What was so like Paul that qualified Timothy to be considered the only one who was one sold with him. Well, it tells us right here. Timothy was genuinely concerned. He was sincere. Genuinely concerned about the needs of the Philippian church. Paul was too. He had selfless sincerity. And if you don't have that, none of the rest of the list is going to matter. The word for concerned here uh, means someone who is genuinely burdened for someone else's welfare to genuinely care about someone else's needs. It's an aspect of, of biblical love. Biblical love is not just mushy-gushy feelings. It's, it's a genuine compassion or concern for, for someone else that actually motivates you to act on their behalf. Sometimes it's to act on their behalf whether they, whether they like what you're doing or not. This word carries emotion with it. It's to be concerned where you carry a burden for them. Timothy was, was, was so sincere in his care, it was so genuine in his care for the Philippian church, which is exactly like Paul's heart, that, 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 that emotion is attached to, uh, to that. He's burdened for them. He, he's anxious. It means that you're anxious about whether they're okay. And you can hear that in the Apostle Paul's writings, right? I, I can't wait till Timothy comes back because I'm anxious to hear about how things are going with, with you. And when Paul gave it a defense of his apostleship in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 28, 
uh, or sorry, Second Corinthians eight, he he talks about this kind of of sincerity. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern. There's the idea of that word of all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who's led into sin without my intense concern? It's the idea of this word. I can remember several years ago, I have no idea how long, uh, sitting on Pastor Nathan Smith's ordination council over at Heritage, and Jerry Kroll was there, and someone asked Dr. Kroll why he was stepping aside while he was still fairly young. And I've never forgotten his... His answer, he gave two of them. He said, first, I want to be still running when I'm passing the baton. I don't want somebody to be pushing me around the track in a wheelbarrow and me trying to pass the baton that way. And he kind of got a chuckle out of the room. But the second one was more serious. He says, while I can still preach, it's the burden of the churches, the burden of the church that gets harder to carry the older I get. I know exactly what he meant whenever he said that. There's not a member who falls into sin or experiences a disappointment that that I don't feel it in some way. Not to the same level that you feel it. But it's it's a concern. There's a sincere ache in my heart whenever I hear. Sometimes I I hear the news and and will burst into tears or, or the opposite. There's a joy whenever something good happens. There are nights laying awake praying about all the dangers and needed direction for the church as a whole that a, that a pastor feels. And if you're sincere, then, then there's no way to avoid that burden, whether you're a shepherd or whether you're an average church member. You're concerned about your fellow brothers and sisters. And Jesus said in John chapter 10 that there, that there are two types of shepherds. You want one and not the other. The true shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He models the genuine concern that the Lord Jesus Christ had for his own. But then there's a hireling. A hireling flees when the wolf comes because he doesn't care about the flock. He cares about himself. He's not sincere, and he's surely not selfless. Are you a sincere burden carrier of others? Will you stand up whenever the, the wolf comes or flee for your own safety. Timothy didn't just say he cared. He genuinely cared for their welfare. Maybe I can explain the difference between Timothy and and the other preachers in Rome this way. You know how you feel whenever you hear a politician say, I genuinely care about you, right? Or my favorite, uh, 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 I know all of the COVID restrictions are hard, but we're in this together. You ever heard them say that? You know, what you feel in your heart? I can't tell you what I feel in my heart. <laughs> I'd have to repent. And while they're on the news, you see pictures of them not doing exactly what they're commanding you to do. You don't feel that if they're sincere, right? I mean, maybe what they're saying may be true. I mean, what they're encouraging you to do may be very helpful, but it's their lack of sincerity that falls short, that... that, that causes you not to want to follow whatever they, they, they say. You don't feel like they really care about your, your welfare. You, you should be the opposite of that as a Christian. Timothy was the opposite of that. When you looked in Timothy's eyes and you heard him talk, you genuinely believed that he cared about you. 
He wasn't a fake. He wasn't a fraud. He was honestly concerned whenever, whenever you shared a prayer request and you believed that he would sincerely pray. Paul believed he would sincerely go and, and, and care for the Philippians in his stead, and then he also believed that he would come back. Isn't it a blessing to have someone like that? Are you like that? Are you genuine? Are you sincere? Do you truly care about the difficulties of your brothers and sisters sitting next to you? Or is it more like James chapter 2, verse 16? Yeah, I'll pray for you. Be warmed and be filled, right? True spirituality, the genuine presence of Christ in us, manifests itself in sincere care. And that sincere care comes in being sold out to, to Christ. Notice what he says next about Timothy. He gives a contrast here. He talks about Timothy's selfish or selfless, single focus. You need to reproduce that quality in your life. It's in contrast to others, and it's in Christ's interest. Look if you go to verse 21. Notice how verse 20 and 21 give the characteristics of Timothy, why he's sending him. I have no one else like him. He's genuine, he's sincere. He's going to genuinely care for your welfare. And now... After he commends him, he's going to contrast him. For they all seek after their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. Meaning Timothy's not like that. It's in contrast to others, and it's in Christ's interests. Paul first commends Timothy by comparing him to his own heart, and now he commends him by contrasting him to the selfishness of others. He, he says he's sending him because everyone else looks out for their own interests, and not those of, of Christ Jesus. One piece of advice Sarah Palin had for Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris this past week was trust no one. That was her number one piece of advice. Paul is likely talking here, uh, contrasting Timothy to those leaders from chapter 1 who are envious and ambitious and selfish. The world's like that, isn't it? Christians shouldn't be like that. The other preachers in Rome preached Christ for their own advantage. Preachers shouldn't be that way, but there are preachers out there like that. Anyone who lacks the humility of Christ will do the same. They'll look out for their own interests. Can you hear an echo of, of the principle that we heard before, the, the truth that's now being patterned for us? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look out for your own interests, but also on in the interests of others. Yeah, it's an echo. Paul, Timothy's living that out. He's contrasting. It's the model. What's the summary of that? Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the command. Paul is saying to the Philippians, Timothy is already obeying this, which is why he's a model and it's why I'm sending him to you. He has a single focus in contrast to others. And his focus is, is on the interests of, of Christ. Notice what Paul uses interchangeably here. Timothy is a carbon copy of Paul, but Timothy's desires like Paul are those of Jesus Christ. It's not his own desires, but the desires of, of Christ. He talks about Paul in verse 20 and talks about Christ in verse 20. They're interchangeable. Timothy is a carbon copy of Paul. Timothy's desires are like Christ and those are, of, uh, are, are like Paul's and those are of Christ. Timothy is a copy of a copy. Timothy had a single focus in his life. And he was committed to the interests of Christ. What does it look like to be committed to the interests of Christ? Wearing a t-shirt with a bumper sticker? 
coming to church, doing more spiritual things, actually serving in, in some way? What does it look like to be, to be committed to the gospel? Well, I can tell you one thing from this verse. It means the opposite of, being, of looking out for your own welfare. It's a single-mindedness, as one writer put it. It's, it's a single focus. Again, isn't it sad when you think that what Paul says here, he's toward the end of his life and he says Timothy is the only one and everybody else around him, they're looking out for their own interests and not for Christ. Out of, out of all of the other people that he's won to Christ, he is one that's sold out for the cause of Christ. Demas has left him, all in Asia has forsaken him, Paul says. The very people that, should be a, that he should be able to depend upon are bailing out to serve their own interests, but not Timothy. He was fundamentally committed, single-focused on the gospel. And that's exactly how I want to live and how I want to die. Nothing greater. Someone ever tells you that you're one-track-minded, whenever you apply that to Jesus, that's, that's, that's not a criticism, that's a compliment. Are you single-minded? Does everything in your life come back to Christ? See the common denominator. Is everything reconciled to Him? That's the idea. If not, you're not following Timothy. And if you are, you're sold out and you, and you, you feel like... Sometimes you feel like you're the only one that, that's there. Don't, don't feel sorry for yourself. You're in some good company. Here's the Apostle Paul. What caused Timothy? to stay and others leave as they, as they cared about their own interest and Timothy cared about Christ. John MacArthur said, it's not that people won't serve Christ at all, it's that they're not single-minded. They're not fully devoted. They're double-minded. They want to serve Jesus and they want to serve themselves. And, and I would say to you, mingle motives will not cut it whenever it comes to, to serving Christ, because it can be hard. You'll choose your first love if it's not Jesus. You can't have your sin, and you can't have the Savior, and you can't have your own interests, and you can't have Christ. One is going, to, is going to, to win out. And Paul says what won out in Timothy was the interests of, of Christ. Let me give you the fourth one. There's selfless serving. Fourth reproducible quality that makes you sincerely selfless is selfless serving. Paphroditus is going to be all about that, but the highlight of Timothy is his selflessness. Paul says that Timothy was proven before others, he was proven in his labor, and he was proven by his submissiveness. Look at you at verse 22. But you know of his proven worth. He's writing to the Philippians. He's telling him why he's sending Timothy. There's nobody else like him, nobody else who has my heart. He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. There's plenty of others I could have sent, but, but, but they're only seeking after their own interests and not of Christ Jesus. That's not Timothy. And you know this. He's proven himself to you. How did he prove himself before the, before the, before the church? This church has knowledge of Timothy. He was proven before them. The word is from dokemos, or dokemos, the meaning to, to put to the test, to prove its metal of, of something. This is not a church that, uh, that had just heard about Timothy in this letter. It's not a church that just heard one sermon from, from, from Timothy and then they exalted him. This means they had illuminated scrutiny. They'd watched his life. They know him. 
the Philippians had watched Timothy and his doctrine, and they put him to test, and, and Timothy had proven sincerely selfless. He was with Paul in Philippi. He was with Paul in Thessalonica. He was with Paul in Berea. He was with Paul in Corinth. He was with him in Ephesus, and now he's here with him in Rome. And as Paul writes to all these churches, he says, You know Timothy. You watched him. He'd been tested. He's been tested by you. He was associated with Paul in the writing of all those epistles. Timothy was tested and a a proven man. Did you know that the Bible says that leaders, all leaders should be tested in the same way before they're put in a position of authority? You think about how crazy it is to go outside to somebody that you don't know, um, get a bunch of resumes, question a person for several hours, have them write what they believe, and then bring them in and let them preach three sermons and then do a Q&A with them and then vote on them and then turn the spiritual keys to the kingdom over them, to them in a church. That's how we, how we place people typically in pastors. Paul says that there's a better way. I'm not saying that's a sinful way. But I think if you look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, the, the men that are there, the people that are put in, in, in the diaconate, in, in, the, in a position of serving or in a position of leadership or any place in the church, they're people that have been observed by the church. They know their character. You remember when we prayed over those deacons here recently? I said, when I say their name, you ought to think servant because they've already been serving. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, an overseer, must be. He gives a whole long list. Those in the church should be as well. 1 Timothy 3, 9. These men also must also first be tested and let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Timothy had proven himself to Paul and he's proven himself to this church. And, and you'll be proven as well. And you shouldn't want one single weight of responsibility more than you've been tested by others to, to carry. Timothy's proven himself. Look at what he's proven himself in. Look at verse 22 again. But you know his proven worth. What was he proven in? That he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. He served with me in the furtherance of the, uh, of the gospel. Uh, the word literally means he slaved with Paul. He slaved with Paul in the, in the furtherance of the, uh, of the gospel. He was, a, he was somebody who was a gospel worker. And you see his devotion to them. You see his devotion to Christ and not to himself. And now you, Paul says, you watched him. Notice what else it says. He served with me. He slaved with me in the furtherance of of the gospel. Look at the end of verse 22. Like a child serving his father. He'd also been proven in his submissiveness. He was submissive like a child to a father. He doesn't say he served me or he served under me. It says he slaved with me. Paul was like a fellow slave serving. Timothy's like a fellow slave serving with, with Paul. And the Philippians knew it. Paul wasn't commending him as his own servant, but the servant of Christ. And, and as we serve together, it, it's with the, the loyalty of a son serving with his father. One writer said, He slaved with me with a mentality like a son serving 
with his father. They know that he has proven himself as a son and a worker of, for the gospel. Paul was loyal to the gospel. Timothy was loyal to Paul in that, in that work. Timothy was the epitome of everything that the world ridicules. I mean, think about what this says here. He's tested. He serves. He's, he's like a slave, which is repudiated by the world. And he's submissive, like a son to, to a father. Exactly the opposite of what's heralded in the world. Timothy's makeup, the way he was wired, would be repulsive to the world. He was, he was submissive to, to Paul, his leader. He, he was a servant. In fact, he rejoiced in his slavery. But, uh, Timothy didn't, did exactly what he was told to do without question. Timothy was trustworthy, completely submissive to Paul. If Paul said, go, Timothy went. If Timothy didn't understand it, he did it anyway because he trusted in, in Paul and then ultimately he trusted in, in God. He was a carbon copy. He was a reproduction. He was not an original. He was not innovative. He was Paul's son in the face. He was, he was a, a faith. He was a happy clone. Isn't that the opposite? I mean, doesn't something about the world say, you don't be submissive. You don't be unique. There's nobody like you. There's nobody like you in the world. Well, Paul says there's nobody like Timothy, but what made Timothy different was, was he was totally selfless. It's the opposite of the world's idea, isn't it? We live in a world that thrives on individuality and newness. I saw this past week where a jewelry store in Israel was making the most expensive COVID mask ever made. Did you see that? It was being made for a Chinese billionaire and the face mask cost, are you ready for this? $1.5 million, a face mask for $1.5 million. I guess you wouldn't leave that in your glove box, would you? What would motivate somebody to be that stupid besides having too much money? Well, it wasn't the mask or what it looks like. It wasn't the, the craftsmanship, craftsmanship that was there. It was, having, it was having something that nobody else had. He liked the headline. I've got a mask, the most expensive one. Like It's unique from what anybody else had. Paul says that's the opposite of what you should be. It's the opposite of what Timothy was. Christians are called to become carbon copies of their Lord. In fact, it's a really good thing if nobody knows who you are and you don't draw any attention whatsoever in a crowd. It's a good thing. Paul says, don't seek the gifts that are in the limelight. Seek the ones that are in the shadows that nobody knows about. That's closer to the heart of Christ, and that's Timothy. Who is more glorious, the Apostle Paul or his servant Timothy? Well, whenever you use this scale, what Timothy modeled was not Paul's apostleship, but Paul's humility. Your primary goal is to be a replica. If you go into a, there's such thing as a, a pawn shop that could test your, your spirituality, what you would want the, the pawn shop owner to say, if it's a worldly pawn shop, is, is this is a replica, this is a duplicate, it's worth nothing to the world. Because of that, Paul says he was useful, Timothy was useful, and that we should imitate him. Look at verse 23, how he sums this up. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be, be coming shortly. Paul was commending Timothy, but he was looking to come himself. He says, Timothy's trustworthy. You should be trustworthy. Dependable. 
stable. He says he was similarly minded. He was one sold. So should you. He was sincere. He was sold out for the gospel. He was single focused. Not on his own desires, but on Christ. And he was submissive in his service. I hope that describes you. If it doesn't, give a model right here. How are you meeting? How are you measuring up against the model? Let's pray. If someone wants to follow you around today and evaluate how you put this sermon into practice in your daily life, would they find things there? Or would they learn how to repent? Both would be good. be good if you are already modeling some of these things for others. But if not, it's also good that you repent. That can be a model too. Confessing your sin, repenting of your sin, running to the gospel is a way to model Jesus Christ to others. Pretending that you're not in sin and that you don't have any problems, that's not modeling Christ, that's modeling the world. Maybe there's something in the message today that God's pricked your conscience about and He wants you to deal with. I'll pray for you even as He does. If you don't know Christ, if you're listening to this model and you've never bowed the knee to Jesus, you can't do any of these things. First thing you need to do is die. Die to yourself so Christ can allow you to live in Him. You place your faith in Christ alone and what He's promised and what He did and you, you believe and you turn from your old way and you ask God to help you. Forgive me, help me. The Lord will. He won't cast you aside. Father, we love you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for these models, how challenging they are. We can see them fleshed out and lived out. Help me to be a man like Timothy. Help everyone here to be the same. Jesus might be glorified in our lives. People may not read the Gospels, but they'll watch us. May we be good replicas of our Master. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.